We're super excited for all that God is going to do through our Beyond initiative. And like Josh said, now is a great time to really uh, evaluate. You know, we're coming to the end of the year uh, to say, God, what would you have me um, give? Uh, me and my wife are especially excited about the Care Portal initiative that you guys will have an opportunity to hear about next weekend. And so be sure to be there because that's going to be an incredible way to uh, meet tangible needs um, and make more and better disciples in our city. But uh, you guys look incredible. You look like you have full stomachs and full hearts after a successful Thanksgiving day. And it was successful in more ways than one. Because as you can tell, I'm speaking. And that is because Drew has put in his two weeks notice after the Bills <laughs> whooped up on the Cowboys. Uh-oh. That's a total lie. Drew is here this morning. And I told him I would tell that joke. <laughs> um, no, but what did it, were you guys excited to see that? That was crazy. I am super excited because I, when I watch football, I am a Ravens fan. And so next week, it's game time. Lamar Jackson is coming out swinging. So uh, let, let's see what happens. But I, I'm hoping it'll be a good game and it'll be awesome. Uh, but we have surpassed Thanksgiving. The holidays are in full effect. And just to set the record straight, I've got to ask two important questions. Question numero uno is... How many of you guys just now started listening to Christmas music uh, after Thanksgiving? Okay, our, our campus pastors will escort you out of the building. I'm kidding, just joking. Uh, how many of you guys have been listening since like November 1 or uh, even October maybe? Yes, me too. I'm a part of the November 1 clan. I know some people are like, hey, Thanksgiving is a holiday as well. Yes, indeed it is. But for me, uh, Thanksgiving Christmas, uh, New Year's, they all represent the holidays and they're best represented, in my opinion, by Christmas music. And I've especially been jamming to John Legend's A Legendary Christmas Album, so you need to check it out. Shameless plug for you, John Legend, because I know he'll listen to this one day. Um, but we're, we're here, we've made it. Uh, the, the kids are home from college, the fireplace is lit, it's literally snowing outside. Um, you're, you're getting all the plans ready to rock and roll. It is game time, right? When we talk about the holiday season, I know there's many different reactions to many different people when it comes to what they think about the holidays. Uh, for some of us, if, if we're you know, in, in high school or middle school, uh, we're excited, right? Because we get to get out of school. Or maybe we get to see a cousin that we don't have a chance to uh, see often. Or uh, maybe you're excited because you get to get out of work. Uh, maybe for some of you, you're, you're feeling really stressed out because you've got all these lists and you're just thinking of all of the things that have to get done uh, before the holidays come. Maybe for some of us, uh, we, we get a little lonely and, and depressed because the, the holiday season for us represents maybe the loss of, of a loved one. Or maybe for you, you're feeling some angst because uh, you know you have a difficult conversation coming up um, with a family member that, that you uh, experience some tension with. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, I think it's safe to say that uh, no matter who you are, the holiday season seems to bring a hustle and bustle uh, that no other time of the year seems to compete with. And it's within that season uh, that we'll decide if we march into the new year uh, feeling refreshed and recharged, ready to rock and roll, or just completely burnt out. And the title of my message today is There's No Place Like Rest for the Holidays. And for you grammar people, 
Yes, that's not correct, but it goes with the song, okay? So give me some grace. Uh, There's no place like rest for the holidays. And really, when we think about rest, man, there's nothing like rest ever. But especially when we talk about the holiday season with all the craziness that can happen. But I think what's, what's funny is when we were little kids, this tension didn't even really exist, right? Or at least not at the same level. I can remember for me, when, when I was a kid, I would, um, you know, I, I would always get super excited for the holiday season because it meant it was getting colder. I, I grew up in Virginia Beach, and so we would drive to the oceanfront and maybe uh, look at lights, you know, as we were driving through. Um, we had family traditions. One of our family traditions was that we would get to open one present on Christmas Eve, and it was always a fresh pair of pajamas that we would wear, you know, into Christmas. Uh, for me, I had a personal tradition when I was growing up. Uh, a couple years in a row, our house had this blanket closet uh, that was just filled with blankets and pillows. And there was a couple Christmas Eves where I would just like burrow myself in this blanket closet um, and, and sleep and to bring in the Christmas day. And you're like, Graham, that's not a tradition. That's weird. Okay, that's strange. You're right. It is weird. I don't know why I did it. Nonetheless, it was a tradition for me. And, and I'm sure that uh, as you think back on your childhood, maybe there's some of those Christmas uh, traditions. But as we grow older, things seem to get more complicated. There's more expectations. You're making that final order on on Priceline to get the travel logistics all lined up. You're doing the white elephant uh, gift here. You're doing another gift giving here. There's so much stuff that seems to go on. And as we go throughout this Christmas season, sometimes we can get so caught up with the extras of Christmas, as cliche as this sounds, we can miss what the whole thing is really about. And we can get to Christmas just completely burnt out. And so the question that I want to raise and and seek to answer uh, today is is how do we find rest and and really stay sane amidst the the craziness of the holiday season? And to help us in our journey, we're going to shoot over to the book of Psalms and in your Bibles, chapter 131. It's page 502 if you're using a Northridge Bible or if you'd like to. And if you're new to church, you might be thinking, what in the world is a psalm? That's a great question. So a psalm was basically a uh, prayer or a song that people who followed God um, and follow God would sing either privately or as a group. And there's different types of psalms. You had psalms that might be uh, psalms of uh, joy and sadness, uh, depending on what was going on in the person who was praying it at that time. You have uh, psalms of thanksgiving, where people would think back on the things that God had done. Um, And and you had different sections in the book of Psalms. It's broken up in different sections. And Psalm 131, which is going to be the psalm that we're planted in uh, today, is located in the section of the Psalms called the Psalms of Ascents. And you'll see it up on the screen as a slide. It it may sound a little strange, but uh, basically you could call the Psalms of Ascents uh, holiday music on the move. Uh, They were the original OG holiday music for uh, Jewish travelers who would literally be going home for the holidays. There were some pretty major festivals for the Jewish people. Um, You you had the the Passover, you had uh, Pentecost, you had the Feast of Tabernacles. And because these were such major holidays, it required all able-bodied Jewish men to travel up to Jerusalem to to go home and uh, bring a sacrifice of thanksgiving and to, to worship with other people. And the Psalms of Ascents were the songs that travelers would sing on their way up to Jerusalem. 
And the reason that, that when I say up to Jerusalem, if you look at uh, the Bible, oftentimes you will find that when people were traveling to Jerusalem, it'll specify they were traveling up to Jerusalem. And that's simply because people literally had to ascend uh, mountainous regions to get to uh, Jerusalem because it was so, the, the terrain was so mountainous. And so Psalm 131 is a psalm of ascent. It is a song that uh, the Jewish people would, would pray and sing as they were coming home for those major holidays. And it's a song of confidence that would deepen the trust of the person worshiping in the, in the God of the universe. And Psalm 131 was written by a guy named David, who, who was a king. If you've ever heard of David and Goliath, that's the David that we're talking about. Uh, but to start out in, in verse one, here's what David writes in this prayer. It says, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. Another translation says, my eyes are not lifted up. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Right off the bat, we've got to recognize that this isn't shepherd boy, teenage David speaking. This is King David. And King David had a lot of power had a lot of influence. I mean, he could snap his fingers and stuff could go down, whether for good or for bad. I mean, he could snap his fingers and have a whole army, Israelite army, go fight a battle for him while he stayed back in the palace. And for bad, he could snap his fingers and have one of the men who went to go fight for him have his wife come over to his house and uh, get in a really bad situation. That's another sermon for another time. But uh, David was a powerful guy. A king in this time, in nations surrounding the nation of Israel, uh, the people would often see their king associated with the God that they served. And so you can only imagine that David would be influenced by those uh, surrounding nations and how they viewed their own kings as gods, that there would be this little nagging voice, I'm sure, in his head that would say, hey, you're, you're pretty powerful. You've got a lot of influence. You're kind of like a god. And there'd be this temptation, this struggle to completely lose sight of, of the God that, that he was serving. But right off of the bat, um, David is, we're recognizing something different about David in this passage that we read. We find a recognition of, of David that's going to pave the way for a restful soul. And the first thing that David recognizes in pursuing a restful and a quiet soul is amidst the power and, and the influence and the chaos that might have been going on in Israel at that time, we see that rest acknowledges who's in control. David says, look, I'm not going to pretend that I know everything, that I'm the end all be all. He's saying, sure, I'm king, but I recognize, God, that, that you are bigger than I am. I'm not in control here. Job was a guy who endured immense suffering in his life years before David was king, and he was kind of in a dialogue with God about why he was suffering and, and pondering on the, these big questions of God. And he, and he comes to this conclusion of, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Moses, another famous Bible character, uh, he would uh, say this, he'd say, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. So there's this recognition in all of these biblical characters that when uh, in life, and especially when the chaos hits, the answer is not going to be to grip harder, uh, to know all the ins and outs, to, to want to control. And we, we read these things and we hear this and it's like, well, well yeah, I, I know I'm not in control of my life. But yet, watch us when things begin to spin out in our lives over the holidays. 
We think if I can just control my brother's response to my mom's passive-aggressive comment, everything's going to be great this Christmas. If I can just pretend that thing never happened in my past between me and this person, there's not going to be another emotional explosion at the dinner table. If I can just pretend that I'm not as lonely as I am, things are going to be great. We tend to grip harder when things get difficult, or as David would say, to want to concern ourselves, to occupy our uh, our hands with things because uh, to be busy is to give the illusion that we're in control and all is good. And David is outlining to say, hey, no. He, he's mapping out this progression of what starts in the heart as pride that leads to the eyes in which we look upon things and believe that we can control them and then leads to our hands and wanting to control them. This is a heart issue before it's a stress or, or a busyness issue. Verse one outlines the problem. Verse two, David goes on to say this, but, so contradicting, listen up. Here's the remedy. He says, but I have calmed and quieted myself or my soul. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Anybody ever seen a hungry baby before? It's like, get out of the way. This airplane is about to explode, right? Here we go. Uh, they will go crazy because they're hungry. And what David is saying is using this imagery as though just like a, uh, a baby is after it's been fed by its mother and is falling asleep in its mother's arms, so is his soul amidst the power and the influence and the craziness of being king, so is his soul resting in the arms of his God. And to hear that come from the mouth of a king, a person of his status in this time, that's pretty crazy. That's pretty humiliating. And I think that's exactly the point because David in this psalm is recognizing that not only does rest acknowledge who's in control, but rest exhibits humility. David says, yeah, I'm king, but I'm not that cool. <laughs> in fact, I'm like a little baby falling asleep in its mother's arms. That's my, my posture towards the Lord. He's not just saying with his mouth, mouth I'm going to rest in God. I'm not going to control things. No, he's, he's actually posturing himself in a, in a place of humility, humility to say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to act on this. David, in conclusion, then uses his power, his status, um, his influence to um, make a charge to the people that he's leading when he says this in verse three. He says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. And that's key, because in this time, what the king did, the people did. If you read First and Second Kings, you will find that when the king was like, yo, I'm pretty legit. In fact, I'm kind of like a god around here, so let's build some high places over there. Let's worship those gods that they worship. Let's do this. When you read that in First and Second Kings, you will find that the people followed the king into that sin. But David is setting the record straight. He's saying, not, not me not us. He says, you don't need to follow me. I'm looking to the one who is above me. I'm not looking, uh, lifting my eyes to things uh, above God, trying to be God, looking to other gods. He's saying, Israel, follow my example as I rest in our God. And imagine hearing that and singing it as you were traveling up to Jerusalem, ascending up to Jerusalem to go home for the holidays. 
Man, wouldn't that center that, uh, that, that traveler's heart and mind on the presence of God being the source of all rest? Now let's step back. Imagine you praying that and, and singing that as we head into the holidays, whether you have, you're going home for the holidays or you have family coming home for the holidays. How many of us need that? I know I do. It's so easy sometimes to not only take a vacation from work or school or whatever is the regular routine, but also to take a vacation from God and just kind of check out because of all the busyness and everything that's going on. But this Psalm of Ascent says, no, I will rest in the Lord. So if this psalm shows us that, that the recognition of God's presence being the source of all rest, if that shows us that truth, then we've got to understand what's going to get in the way. Like what's going to stop us from being able to have this kind of rest in our soul? And the enemy to, to rest is, as this psalm outlines, yes, control, but I think that's just a tip of the iceberg symptom of a deeper root issue. And the deeper root issue that control is the symptom for is unbelief. And when I say that immediately, I'm sure a lot of us are thinking, sure, yeah, the reason my soul was not rested is because of unbelief. No, Graham, I'm just doing too much. My schedule is just too busy. That's why I'm all over the place. But remember, the outline that David gives, what starts in the heart leads to the eyes, and then it leads to the hands, wanting to do too much, filling up our calendar. And the heart issue, the, the pride issue of how our souls can get all out of whack, can genuinely believe that we can control these things and then try to control these things. The reason that happens is because there are still places of our hearts where we battle unbelief. And unbelief is the enemy of rest. How do I know this? Because this is a major problem throughout the story of uh, the Bible, and I think the author of Hebrews in one of the greatest New Testament passages on rest explains it better than I ever could. And what you're going to notice in this passage that we're going to read in, in Hebrews chapter 4 is that the author is going to quote two Old Testament passages. And, and I want you to keep your eye out for them because the, the first is going to be the creation account in Genesis 1. And the second is going to be another song, Psalm 95, which was basically a psalm remembering God taking the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt and bringing them to the land of promise. But in the wilderness, they messed some stuff up. And so that's, that's what we're getting ready to see him uh, quote. And you're going to find a consistent pattern, a consistent equation that I want you to try to look for as we read this passage um, that's really going to point us to some key truths. And this equation is human plus unbelief equals distress. And that includes a, a loud and chaotic soul. So we'll begin to see that equation take shape as we read this passage. It's Hebrews chapter four, verse four. The author says, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. This is Genesis one. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, this is Psalm 95. He says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter his rest. Now, at first glance, it might be a little confusing in why the author would bring those two passages uh, together. But the reason the author is pulling both Genesis 1 and Psalm 95 together is because they both represent periods of rest for God's people. 
If you think about Genesis 1, you have the ultimate epitome of rest. This is uh, God and man living in the Garden of Eden, uh, having peace with God in harmony before uh, the effects and fall of sin in mankind. Well, after sin entered the world, uh, chaos and, and destruction would continue until God chose a specific people, the nation of Israel, this is where Psalm 95 comes into play, uh, to save and place in a promised land so they could rest from the enemies that were surrounding them and rest from the oppression that they experienced in Egypt. And as you read through the Old Testament, what you will find is this didn't work. <laughs> Why? Because people were jacked up. <laughs> people were messed up. The author of Hebrews goes on to say, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in to the promised land because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Conclusion, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So here we go. Genesis 1. This is man's first day on the job. Man's first job was to chill and rest with God because God had completed everything. Day 7 was to rest and enjoy being with God because he completed everything in the Garden of Eden. That didn't last long. Why? Because human plus unbelief equaled distress. Adam and Eve didn't believe that, uh, that God was enough. They, they thought, man, God is holding out on us. The serpent tried to uh, whisper in their ear, hey, you could actually be God. God's holding out on you. And so they didn't believe God and they thought, you know what? We want to have the same knowledge that God does. We want to pursue that. And so they eat this fruit that God said, don't do it because it's going to leave you spiritually and physically dead. And they eat this fruit, and that then leads to uh, a life of distress by being kicked out of the garden and living in distress as spiritual and physical nomads. That's Genesis 1. Psalm 95, this is God's people, Israel, getting saved out of a land of oppression and, and, and slavery and led by Moses and Joshua to go uh, to the land of promise, all of which was to allow them, again, to rest from their enemies and uh, be obedient to God in that land. But if you read Exodus and Judges and really the Old, Old Testament, that didn't last long. Why? Because human plus unbelief equals distress. Israel did not believe that God was actually bigger than the people who inhabited the land of promise. And so they thought, whoa, God's holding out on this. He's not going to protect us. He's not going to provide for, for us. And they would grumble and they would complain, ultimately worshiping a golden calf and doing some crazy stuff. If you go read Exodus, you will see, and they didn't believe God. And that then leads to thousands of years of uh, a distressed and rocky relationship with the God of the universe. And the author of Hebrews brings these two points in history together because both of these interruptions of rest point to something greater. They show us that there's got to be something more because mankind within ourselves, we cannot genuinely have rest. We keep messing it up within our own ability because our hearts are uh, continuously lifted up. We gaze our eyes on things that are too great for us to understand and do. And, and we try to control these things and, and we do all this and we stress ourselves out because we're trying to control things. And this problem that has plagued humanity and will continue to happen exists until there is a fundamental heart change. 
until our heart, which naturally kind of is skeptical towards God, kind of says, I don't know if I trust you, doesn't really believe that God is good, that he's done the work, that he is everything that we need. Our heart is gonna continue to do that. And so we try to control these things in our lives and we stress ourselves out because we were never designed to do it. And yet we didn't trust God to handle the things that we didn't think he could handle. But here's the beauty of the gospel. God knew that. <laughs> there was somebody who would fulfill that desire that we couldn't do. Jesus, when, uh, praise be to him, when, when we couldn't do it, provide ultimate rest for our souls as we were designed for. He, he would come to this earth and do what you and I could never do, to, to truly quiet our souls, to stop the chaos and the disorder and connect us back to God. He would say this, He'd say, come to me while he was on this earth. Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. When, when we mess things up in the garden as, as human beings, Adam and Eve, the, the promised land was never going to provide the ultimate rest that the nation of Israel or you or I were created for. The soul rest that, uh, that David caught glimpses of and the Jewish travelers would sing about as they were coming home for the holidays, that was still to be attained and it would only be attained through one person, Jesus. How? When he died on the cross for you and for me. How do we know that when he died on the cross, he accomplished that ultimate rest? Six words. It is finished. He is risen. Hebrews chapter four, he would go on to say this. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Guys, this holiday season, amidst the chaos and the lists and the highs and the lows and all the things that go into the holidays, let us be reminded that the work is finished. We just have this opportunity to believe that God did what he said he was gonna do. Namely, send Jesus to die for you and I so that we might be able to be a part of that rest. So now we get to serve God, not out of a place of work, but out of a place of rest. I'm not doing this to earn God's favor. I get to do this because, because I have earned God's favor, right? Now we get to enjoy the holidays not because we got to work and strive, but because Christ has accomplished it all. We get to uh, uh, quiet our souls in such a way as though we were falling asleep in our mother's arms after we've just been fed, not because of our work, but because of Jesus's work. So take a breath. God's got you. Here's the problem though. Oftentimes taking a breath for you and I means binging another season on Netflix <laughs> or taking a nap or uh, you know, doing this or, or doing that, but you can take a nap and still find your soul all out of whack and find your life all messed up. King David, who we talked about earlier, King David at a point in his life took a nap. He took a break. He stayed back in the palace while his armies went to go fight and he ended up committing adultery and committing murder. So just taking a nap isn't gonna solve our problems. It's, it's not just talking about uh, doing less. Don't just do less, believe more. If uh, rest requires acknowledging who's in control, then let us relinquish the control that we wanna grip upon our lives and believe that God is God and he's got it. 
even when tensions might naturally arise uh, with, with one of your family members, even when uh, you feel like, man, I'm physically alone, I'm physically rested, but my soul is all out of whack. Even in those moments, we don't need a nap. We need belief. We need trust in God. Because don't get me wrong, naps are great. Netflix is awesome. Let's watch Christmas movies. You do, do whatever your traditions are. But if you do those things devoid of the presence of God, it will just compound probably to the stress that you might already feel. If rest requires exhibiting humility, then practice humility and believe that God is doing something. Maybe Aunt Debbie didn't bring that side dish that you thought she was gonna bring and you are mad at Aunt Debbie. Hey, in that moment, say, Lord, what are you doing here? What, what are you doing here? Help me to humble myself, God, so that I can lean into what you want to teach me. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is it's not just ivory tower stuff. It's not just up there where you got to seek it out and you don't really, how do we apply this? No, it is like in the trenches of your life, practical Christianity. Because right after this huge explanation of uh, Christ being our ultimate rest, the author of Hebrews would follow it up with this final thought. He says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Maybe you're in here and you're thinking, man, I, I, I want to have belief. I, I don't want to struggle with unbelief, which then leads me to looking upon these things and wanting to control them. I want to quiet my soul. I just don't know how. Let's go to the thing that actually has the ability to speak directly to your soul. The word of our God, the breathed out word. Application point, read the word. <laughs> Simply put, it's December 1st. It is the start of the Advent season. It's not too late uh, for you to start an Advent version reading plan on, on, your, on your app with your spouse or with your community group. In fact, to make this as easy as humanly possible, we as a church family are actually going to be doing an Advent reading plan together. If you are a part of the Equip emails, you'll be getting an email about that this week. But if you're not a part of that and you want to uh, find some accountability in reading God's word uh, leading up to Christmas to, to center your heart and your mind on him, man, sign up on the bottom of your connections card and put it in the basket uh, so that you can be a part of that. We can maximize this Christmas season. David, as powerful as he was, as influential as he was, in this psalm, he would set the tone for those who would be coming home, traveling home for the holiday season, to rest in Christ. Is that what you're willing to do for your family? David set the tone for Israel, but will you set the tone for your family to say, hey, you can leave the, the stress and the chaos at Black Friday, Bed Bath & Beyond. This home is gonna quiet ourselves before the Lord. We are gonna remember what this whole season is about. Lord, help us. Are you willing to set the tone? Because that's gonna require not just doing less, not just taking the hands off, but believing more, trusting more, which means humbling ourselves, believing that God is in control. And what's gonna get in the way of all of this, having soul rest, is not going to be, we've got to bake the cookies. Did you get the Christmas list? What is that gift? What, who are you? You know, what, what is all this? Getting ourselves out of whack. What's going to get in the way is not going to be those things. Because as David says, hey, before this is a busyness or stress issue, this is a heart issue. 
And we as human beings have struggled since day one to believe that God is enough, that his work is finished, that he's good, that he's trustworthy. And so let us as a community make every effort to trust in God and specifically in the work of Jesus for the rest that he purchased for us to have by his blood. And so as we close out and we jump into this Advent season, I'd love to read this Psalm one more time over us. It's, it's Psalm 131. David says, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I could, it's going to stress me out. David says, but I have calmed and quieted myself. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, Northridge Church, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the rest that you've provided in Christ. We could never do it ourselves, and yet Jesus came so that we wouldn't have to. And so I pray that anybody's soul who's uh, just feeling so chaotic, so burdened, so heavy, Jesus, you say to them, come to me. And Lord, if they believe in you, that you died for their sins on the cross, that you rose again, that they might have life, they will be able to enter into that ultimate rest. I pray that over somebody who's praying that right now, God. We love you, Jesus, and that's only because you first loved us. It's in your name we pray, amen.